Welcome everyone to the Summon Up Podcast. This is where we talk about movies, shows, games, and whatever the heck we want. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and the Anchor. No more YouTube. Oh well. I am joined by my good friend John, and I am Chris, and we are your co-hosts for the day. John, how are you doing? Man, I'm doing all right. How are you doing, Chris? You know, I just, I've got it in my bones that I feel a little spooky, but I don't know why. Maybe, maybe it's just the best time of the year. Uh, and we're going to get into that later about holiday stuff, but we got some news to go over. You excited for some news? I'm ready for some news. So do you want the, the good or the bad first? Let's, let's start with the bad. Let's go with All that. Right. So we're going to start rock bottom here. Disney lays off 28,000, mostly at its two U.S. theme parks. Uh, this is coming from the New York Times. and uh, Part of the headline says the company said it would eliminate thousands of jobs at its resorts in Florida and California, which have been hit hard by the pandemic. Now, uh, I would recommend people go read this because it is a fascinating read, but we are going to talk a little bit about what Disney is going through and uh, what our thoughts on that is and so uh, I will go over just a little bit of a, a skeleton part of this where uh, Disney said it would try and pay for the employees who are going to be fired. They're going to try and still pay for their health care benefits. Kind of kind of helps them with some sort of hope, I guess, is that they're still going to pay for that health care as long as they can. They're not giving a guarantee that it's going to be forever uh, with those eliminated 28,000 jobs for those who did have the health care. And it also affects the cruise lines and some of the retail stores will be affected as well. But uh, they did mention 67% of the layoffs will be from part, mostly part-time employees. So there's that as well. And uh, I know that reading other articles about this, and I think it explains it in here that the big thing is that Disney tried to work it out with California. Like, what's your plan? We really want to bring our employees back. And California is like, we're still shut down. And Disney was like, well, that, that answers uh, our problem for us. So even though this is a problem across two states with Florida and California and the cruise lines, uh, California as a, as a state didn't really offer much for Disney and uh, living here in Florida, Disney is still operating. They had really good sales on tickets if you wanted to go to Disney World. So if you want to go uh, for cheap, then I would recommend that. But uh, yeah, it, it's it's a turbulent time for Disney. And uh, John, I just want to get your thoughts on that. No, I mean, it, it it's obviously terrible for the employees uh, who had to, who lost their jobs because of all of this. And I get it with, with Florida. It's a pretty big epicenter for the, for the pandemic. And with California, they're obviously trying to be really, really strict about, uh, reopening everything and being very careful, which doesn't really lead to massive employers like that, that deal with the general public providing a lot of great opportunities for them. So I, I mean, it, it, it sucks, but I get it. Um, and I, I was honestly surprised at how early Disney was opening back up to begin with. I didn't think that they would um, push the way they did, but money and you got to make that money. So, uh, I, I mean, obviously, I, I hope that the the employees are able to find some kind of transition into other jobs or or um, maybe be in stable enough positions to where they can maybe wait it out. But I, I, I can't imagine that college age students that mostly work at Disney like that are, are able to, to, to hold on like that. 
Yeah, it's it's pretty big. Uh, I, at least for Florida, uh, Disney has been open, I think, since July, if I believe. Disney mm-hmm. has been partially open since July or August, and it was like, at one point they were running a special. It's like, hey, if you want to go to the park for one day, it's 66 bucks. And I'm like, what? $66 for one day ticket? That's nuts. And then they changed the deal to it's $66 for a four, uh, a three-day stay, and it's like $56 for four days. So each day is $56. And that's still really, really cheap, but they got rid of that one-day sale. It's now like $109 if you're going to go for one day. And you can't go into different parks here in Florida because it's a much bigger uh, resort type area than the one at california adventure anaheim and all that stuff but yeah we're we should have expected this it is really sad and even though florida is a little bit more gung-ho with the pandemic and had a little bit of an issue in the uh, whole stay in your house department um disney has done a good job to kind of mitigate the effects of the coronavirus at their parks by mandating everyone wear a mask and if you want to take off your mask there will be an area where you could take a breather obviously with social distancing and taking off your their uh, your mask and they showed california those plans and they're like we can do it here we really need to open up and i guess this is part of that obviously a lot of florida people who work at the company were going to get cut too but yeah i mean florida or disney is looking for money anywhere it can and they've reported huge losses and they're trying to make them up and so i understand it's just really sad for all those people you mentioned uh all those ucf all those ucf college students who are working at disney at the same time yeah i mean they're they're i i feel like they're more of the types of people that work at theme parks like that i mean i i spent uh my pre-college summer working for a theme park in Virginia. And I mean, that's the majority of the people there. You don't really find a lot of middle-aged parents working at a theme park, dressing up as Scooby-Doo for a summer. Um, (laughs) It's, it's not really their, their goal kind of clientele or anything. Yeah. Well, actually I've heard, I forget where I heard the story, but the story is that um, it was from a celebrity. Like they were, one day at Disney World and they went behind I think it was a joke it was a comedian who said this but they they went past the castle where they do all the shows and they could see like all the Cinderella's like the uh all the all the princesses uh who were in gear like taking a smoke break and it's just like you don't really expect that from Disney but I digress look, look man like I will tell you it is I the green room for the group that I I was in a um an like a I was about to band. ask you what did you do at this theme park <laughs> now i played trombone in a, in a band uh at it was a theme park called king's dominion and our green room was above one of the restaurants and it was also attached to the storage room for a lot of the um the scooby-doo and other types of uh characters like that like their costumes and their the giant like suits that they sit inside oh, so okay. it's man it is real weird to walk into a room and see a bunch of scooby-doo heads looking right back at you <laughs> What is that like that Geico commercial where the guy buys the house and he goes up there with the gecko and it's a bunch of like dolls and uh, life size mannequins that have like their heads bashed in and they're all looking at the doorway when you come through and the guys like and the gecko's like enjoy your new home. Yep. And they look yep. out and he's like, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> that is exactly what it is. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Disney and having to cut corners and make money. <laughs> Uh, 
<laughs> Mulan might not only be offered on Disney Plus starting next week. So starting next week, Mulan will be available for $29.99 on other digital platforms such as Amazon, Fandango, Now, Vudu, and many others starting October 6th. So that didn't last long. Uh, so yeah, and I, I just want to get your thoughts on this, John, uh, because the article goes into much deeper territory, but we could obviously just, we could skim the surface here like a, like a, just a really happy fish. Tell me what your thoughts from this is already. <laughs> I mean, look, they, they are probably making a good chunk of money licensing it out to all of these other platforms. And for a company that who's probably one of their primary sources of revenue was uh, either movie theater tickets or theme park sales um, for them to lose both of those major sources of income, they have to make it up somehow. So if, if licensing out one of their movies that really didn't do super great to other platforms to try and generate some kind of revenue from it, I I'm sure they're trying to cut as much of the losses as they can from it. So it, it's surprising to see Disney of all the companies to branch out into other streaming services like this for one of their um, classic remakes like they did. Um, but I, I mean, I, I get it. Like I'm going to keep saying it, but I get it. We're all just trying to trying to get by here and Disney is trying to do it in seemingly creative ways. So I don't. Yeah, it's don't very, creative, very creative, very creative. Yeah, especially for for like I I would get it for like a like a Netflix original who like maybe they if they're trying to like make up some of their revenue losses, maybe they branch out a little bit more, but but Disney is is like a monolith when it comes to their their own properties. So to see a Disney film on Disney Plus as well as all of these other services is just very strange. And when you said monolith, I was thinking of like the Disney castle but instead of the castle it's just like a giant mouse like the uh california big boys like that burger chain yeah and it's just like in the state of florida anywhere you look if you look towards like lake okeechobee or towards orlando you're just gonna see this giant fucking mouse like looking up at the sky it's like a monolith is what i thought of uh but it, it brings me to a good question for you of do you think disney's making this move because of because of the decision that their ecosystem was too small to begin with from Mulan and, or like when, when they're making the decision, like, do you think it's going to help? Because we've discussed Mulan in great detail of how it's, it's bad. So, you know, what, what is, what is Disney levying? What it like, why didn't they do this from the beginning? Did they just realize that their ecosystem is too small or have they not made enough money back yet? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I, I wonder too, if, if it was just a matter of them trying to broaden their audience to maybe get better reviews and word of mouth for it, or if it is just purely um, like a revenue issue and and trying to license it out to those other services, I I could see it. I, I, I think I'm leaning more towards they're trying to make as much money off it as they can and um, at least getting some kind of down payment from Amazon and these other streaming services to get it on their own platforms it's going to help a little bit um and it doesn't really require a lot of legwork on their part uh granted it, it is going to hurt their disney plus numbers um 
for people like me who don't have Disney Plus but do have Amazon Prime, I would at least have the opportunity to pay Amazon for it rather than pay Disney. Um, so they, it, it's an interesting... I, it feels like they're trying a lot of things with Mulan, and it's a weird movie to try a lot of things like this with. Yeah, this is... We've discussed this. This is not the best movie to try this with. Black Widow would have been a better pick, but this movie's just bad. You know? <laughs> and I'm not saying... And I always feel like I have to make this... this uh, this assertion because it could be someone's first time listening to this or it could be someone's 80th time listening to this i don't know but i don't this movie isn't bad because it has a female protagonist in it the original milan is amazing it's a groundbreaking piece of work when she's singing about um when she's singing in the house about you know her destiny and how her she doesn't who she is inside who she yeah exactly i don't know it gives me tears uh a little bit and i'll admit that as a as a man i don't care but this movie doesn't have that type of empowering where you really you really buy into this idea that she's just like everyone else and that she should be equal and she earns it this movie just makes her goku and the whole reason that goku and his story in dragon ball z is so great is because it's just a bunch of people yelling at each other and having super mega battles, but that's the thing. It's also very stupid. It knows what it is. We know what it is. 14-year-old boys love that stuff, you know? But this is a movie that's made for kids and adults, and I don't think it hit the mark of art artiste, unless you're talking about the visuals, in which the visuals are kind of cool. But, yeah. I just want to make that preface, because I don't want anyone to, you know come after us like we hate women that's not true john's married john has a woman um, <laughs> well Chris, he doesn't I, I have think, her locked I think up the but general <laughs> the general rule of thumb is the longer you have to take to explain something like this the better it is for you in the long run oh okay great uh i'll make sure to i'll make sure i explain more and at the same time i have my shovel and i'm just digging six feet under for no good reason yeah that sounds fair Unless it's one of those Looney Tune videos where you're digging like a grave for someone else and then you happen to be on a cliffside and then you fall through and you just go to your death. Like, uh, what is that? The Roadrunner series? Loved yeah. It. Loved it. Roadrunner was great. Him and Wiley Coyote. God, exactly. Speaking of some Wiley Coyote news that has nothing to do with the Looney Tunes, but it is quite loony. And speaking of Disney again, Moonlight director Barry Jenkins is helming the next live-action Lion King. Oh boy. Hooray. This is exactly what we wanted, isn't it, John? John? Yep, yep. yep. Can't tell there's sarcasm in that at, uh, at all. But one could point that it's because the Disney franchise earned $1.6 billion at the box office last year for putting out this movie that everyone wanted. So, um... With that, because I'm not going to go into the extreme details, but it was uh, Barry Jenkins did uh, kind of allude to it in an exclusive with Deadline uh, that he will be helming the next installment in the Lion King story. What are your thoughts on this move? Does this make sense to you? Do you dislike it or what? I Okay, look, I think mine and the majority of people's biggest problems with Lion King was that it was too realistic that they couldn't convey the emotion that the cartoon could with these lifelike animals. And visually, it is a work of art. I will not deny that at all. 
um, it's it's incredible to see animals like that um, interacting the way they did in the movie. But when you take out the expressiveness, uh, when you take out the like the nuances that you can you can have with uh, like a cartoon face that you can't have with a lifelike real lion's face it just takes something away from the movie i like the lion king story i think is great and when it's done well like you had a phenomenal cast uh, a great director music was great the, all for on paper it should have been a hit but the concept of of hyper realistic animals trying to sing just it just it didn't play well so for them to do a second one i get i get it Again, because of the money. <laughs> they yeah, want to try 1. and make $1.6 billion in your lap, John. You would do anything for $1.6 billion to put it in your lap, right? If exactly. I told you if I told you that I'm gonna make this thing called the Snyder Cut and I put enough money in your pocket, you would say yes to it, right? I, I absolutely would. Exactly. There's a great, great relevant example of money. <laughs> I mean, I just I don't think it's gonna change enough from from how the first movie did things to where it's going to be enough of a change. Plus, what do they have to go on? Are they going to do a Lion King one and a half inspired story? <laughs> Is it going to be uh, the the lions grown up and their kids take over like they did in the second one? Um, and their interaction? Because I don't think you had the same um, like connection with Scar that you did in the cartoon. So you're not really invested in his, in his offspring at all. Um, I, I don't know, man. Like, it's just like monetarily, I get it because they made a lot of money off of it. And so that's a good sign on paper. But I don't see a lot of future in this franchise. And I, I, I don't know. This is it's the first sequel to a live action remake Disney has done, um, unless you count the Male- Maleficent ones, uh, which they're not really the same concept, same idea. Um, yeah, I agree with you there. They're not the same. I, but it it's just this is it's such a weird movie to do this with at least with at least with Mulan we can say that they they swung for the fence and they introduced new things and it was different enough from the original to where it would have led potentially to an interesting sequel if they decided to go in that direction um but I I feel like the the live action quote unquote Lion King sequel is so it's so much of like a niche um type of movie that they have to stick with with the hyper realism they did with the original they can't just suddenly have all these really super expressive eyes and mouths on these animals and not have that explained um they just pigeonhole themselves into a corner with this with this type of movie and i don't think the sequel is gonna do very well well john i want to go back to a point that you that you brought up about being having realistic animals singing we did get that in the Jungle Book, and I think across the board, people said that the Jungle Book remake was better. And I'm someone who loved the original Jungle Book, one of my favorite movies growing up. I really loved that story of Mowgli. I really loved the the friendship, the awkward brotherhood, the parentage how with between Bagheera and uh, Baloo and how they have to raise this kid and the immense fright of Shere Khan why does that movie that has all animals and one human child how come that gets a pass compared to Lion King that yeah that's a fair point I I think part of it 
has to do with um, the people that they had singing where for Bill, Mur- Bill Murray or Christopher Walken to sing a song, you know that it's <laughs> not going to be the same caliber as Beyonce singing. Um, so I, I think there was a little, a little bit of a pass with the casting that they had that it was going to end up being more of like a sing talk kind of concept um, that the style was different enough to where it fit. I think, I think it fit better in the world that they wanted to make. Um, mm. Plus when you have animals like orangutans and monkeys singing or dancing, they can naturally be more expressive because they have opposable thumbs and flailing arms. And so the, the mm. animals that they used in, um, in jungle book, I think were naturally more expressive animals to begin with. Whereas, um, in a savanna, you have lions, you have zebras, you have giraffes, um, uh, meerkats, uh, wildebeests, all of these things that are fairy planted onto the ground, that they're not naturally expressive animals. Um, there's not as much nuance that they can get away with with these. So I, I think I think part of it had to do with the voice casting and part of it had to do with the animals themselves and... Um, and just the the environment that that they were in, I think naturally fit that style better. Yeah, I think I think that that point you made kind of plays into the thing, the reason why it was a little bit better. And I say this as someone who really misses the song between the vultures, which were not in the movie of "We Are Your Friends, We Are Your Friends," and they sing like that barbershop quartet, and then at the end that hits. Shere Khan finishes the line and he hits that super low bass note and it's just so good. Yeah. Um, which for the time, like they had to, they, I think they had like a, I think, what is it called? A double, a double bass, natural singing voice saying that. And it, it, it still resonates to this day to me that ah. note, um, as a musician, what resonates res mm, yes, resonates, <laughs> you know, when you're in music, when you're, when you, you play a lot of music, uh eventually just it uh it crescendos into your vocabulary ah i see what you did there ah it's so lame yes uh (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i I see that point and you know seeing a realistic lion sing like real notes kind of like a beyonce where then on the flip side you have bill murray just like singing look for the bare necessities it's not really much of a those two styles are completely different. Yeah. So I, I totally get that. Yeah. So we hit that. And now we're going to go to the top story, my top story. And then we're going to shoot the shit a little bit. I have to, we're going to get back to the first thing we said in the beginning of the podcast about spooky time. But John, there's this new game calling coming out called star Wars squadrons. And I wanted to get on a little soapbox about it real quickly because I wanted to wait for this game to get out reviews. Uh, I didn't want to pre-order it because EA and Disney have uh, have taken away like my blind faith for Star Wars. So I have to be careful when I buy into something. And this is a game that's kind of like a flight simulator. You're going to fly around in an X-Wing or a TIE Fighter. You get to play as the Empire or the New Republic, both in the store in the single-player storyline. There's a multiplayer element, which is supposed to be the showcase for this. And the review started coming out. It's getting a good rating, John. Um, 8.1 on PC. The Xbox and 
PlayStation versions are a little lower. But the reason why that is is because right now they've just got single player experience mostly. And they're all like, the story is, it's it's not really anything to look at. But the point of the game is the multiplayer function and the gameplay itself. The point is getting in the X-Wing, flying around and being a pilot. And after re- reading the v- reviews, um, I'm getting this game. I'm super hyped for it. Uh, even to the point where one of the reviewers, not an official reviewer, but someone who did review the game, didn't really give it a score, and Greg Miller from Kind of Funny, he described it as he was playing it with his PlayStation VR set, and he was having such a good time with it, but he had to take the 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 VR headset off just for a little bit. And when he was bombing like a cruiser in space, he turned back into a seat. Like he turned back to see the explosion, like as if he was in the cockpit with the helmet on. And when he turned back, all he saw was his chair. And he had to think like, oh my gosh, that's what this game is doing to me. That's how immersive it is. Wow. And I've seen gameplay of it on the computer with an HTC Vive headset. And it looks like though it looks like a super virtual reality. It looks stunning. Now, obviously, I'm going to play it on PlayStation VR because I do have that. And it's not as stunning. The resolution is much lower compared to the PC version. But my God, people out there, if you have a PC and you're a gamer and you have the ability to get the VR, get this game, get the VR, have, hook it up because it looks phenomenal. Like reviewers are consistently saying this game is meant to be played in VR, not with a controller. And it actually might give you an advantage to play it in VR. And they said the experience is incredible. And Star Wars fans might have a really good game on their hands for $40. It's $40, not $60. And on top of that, it's cross-platform. So one of my best friends here in Florida who actually pre-ordered this game, and I thought that was a little ambitious, we talked today, and I'm getting the game, and I'm going to be able to play with him, even though he's playing it on the beautiful PC. I'll be able to play with him on my P- on my PlayStation. And I'm so excited to squat up, and I just wanted to vent my hype because <laughs> I am so effing hyped right now. And Star Wars has not given me many moments like this. I'm so excited. And I, 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 I'm just wondering what your thoughts of seeing, because we talked a little bit be- before about it. I want to get your thoughts on what you think about this experience that is now going to be available to people. I mean, I, I'm really excited to see the potential in this game now and uh, that it's getting such great reviews, that it's so immersive. Um, it brings up an interesting thought that for you... Because I would say that you are much more of a gamer than I am. Mm-hmm. Um, for you, which is more important, a, an extremely immersive and new gameplay experience or a really intricate and detailed uh, main story? Well, that's a really, I think that's a really important question for the games industry because one of the best Star Wars games and probably one of the most best story made games and just games in general is Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, where the gameplay isn't anything special. It's just like uh, if anyone's played Bioware's uh, Mass Effect, it's kind mm-hmm. of that system. It's kind of RNG, roll the dice on like a click, clicking on certain motions for your character to do. That game has one of the best stories in games in general, and it has one of the best Star Wars stories, obviously, because it's so good. And the gameplay sucks. At the same time, you have games that 
have such good gameplay in Battlefront 2 Star Wars with a the recent one that came out and it obviously the launch was a show. It was terrible when it launched. It had bugs, it had no content, and over time the finished product right now is amazing. The gameplay is so much fun to go out on a battlefield. They made the battle modes bigger. They made it more exciting. They made it worth more where a match can last 45 minutes if you can't capture enough points and you're just going back and forth in this tug of war. The main story for that game sucks. Hands down, sucks. Nobody nobody says it's a it's a pillar, it's a monolith. It sucks. It, it It's garbage. It's a Disney-employed experience. Uh, so I do believe one of the games that hits it is Jedi Fallen Order, which came out last year, where it hits on that experience, that gameplay we all want from a Star Wars game. We never played a game where we ex- we we play a Jedi and when we're waving the lightsaber, it feels like it feels uh, fluid. It feels natural. Obviously, we're not we're doing it on a controller, but the way it looks, the way it plays, it looks very natural. It looks seamless. It looks like what a Jedi would do. And that's not easy. The games industry is very complicated in a lot of different ways. Development is very complicated. And that game was put in the hands of a very competent developer that EA probably didn't believe would put out a good Star Wars game. But here we are today. Jedi Fallen Order is a great game. It gives you the experience to build your own lightsaber at one point and uh, across the board. And that game's been out for almost a year now. Uh, It's coming on... This is 11 11 months soon. There's a moment in there where everyone says, like, I am an effing Jedi. (laughs) And every reviewer said it. Like, there's a moment you get there and the music swells and you just have this lightsaber moment that is amazing. And that's... That's the thing about being a fan of any franchise. There comes a moment where all the emotions that that is meant to be there hits you all at once. And for Star Wars, the movies have not done that in recent memory. And watching the originals, if you watch the original movies, you have those feelings. When you watch the other movies, it doesn't hit you as much. And right now, the games are the things that are giving it to us. So a game like this is exactly what I need. Uh, Mandalorian as a television show is what I need as well. But this, this is this is every little boy's, every little kid, every little girl who likes Star Wars, every person who grew up with it, who went to go see its first screening in 1977. This is the moment where being a pilot, where this experience is going to be accessible, and that has what has got me so hyped. Because for a lot of the newer generation, it's about the Jedi, it's about the Sith. But a lot of people who watch the originals, and when I watched the originals as a kid before the prequels, it was about being in an X-Wing, being in a TIE fighter, flying on the Millennium Falcon. Those experiences which made Rogue Squadron, the video game fran- uh, franchise and flight simulator for Star Wars, so big in the late 90s and early 2000s. And we are going back to that. And I know I've been on the soapbox for a little bit, but you asked me a a question that I needed to rant about because this is a new territory for Star Wars fans, and I am so incredibly excited to play this game. 
It's almost like there is more to Star Wars than a couple Jedi and a like a 40 year time frame. Yeah, almost like there's more than just waving around a bunch of sticks. Maybe, maybe. I mean, it. I, I we've said this before, where I think the biggest things that we're looking for are, are games or film or shows that explore more of the universe that they've set up. Um, that we haven't seen before in new and interesting ways and it sounds like this gives much more depth like what we talked about with um wanting a deeper finn story in the new trilogy it sounds like this just gives more depth and um, layers to each side and maybe makes things seem a little bit more gray than they did black and white initially so um i i love i love content that does that that challenges your preconceived notions about who the good and bad guys were and maybe makes the bad guys seem a little bit more relatable or empathetic and makes the good guys seem a little bit more questionable. Um, uh, just there is more gray in life that I think um, a lot of media portrays. Um, so it's always really interesting when you play with that idea in, in games and not saying like, I know what the story is and that that's exactly what happens here, but when you explore like when you're when you're able to join um the the empire like that and to fight as those kind of characters it naturally gives it more depth i think in that regard because you have to give um, these people names and faces and characters and you have a connection to this to this side now so it's man i'm i'm really excited about this i know i've i've always wanted a really good um shoot up style fighter fighter pilot kind of star wars game um so if i was a big pc or playstation gamer this is exactly what i would be getting hey you know what's coming around the corner john hmm it's christmas (laughs) we're almost there and john speaking of christmas and in my head i thought of the squidward meme future where he's like doing crunches and saying future over and over (laughs) i want to go back to what we we said about spooky time it's coming up i want to just shoot the shit with you about this because um off off the podcast we had a discussion about uh die hard and whether it is a christmas movie or not (laughs) uh and that was a lot of fun but obviously we were very tired at that point we needed to go to bed because we are old men at heart um i want to talk to you about halloween and christmas and what each holiday means to you as we get closer and obviously we can include thanksgiving in there but as we know thanksgiving underappreciated because only has one holiday movie and you haven't seen that holiday movie but we'll go past that in planes trains and automobiles uh yeah so i just want to ask like to you which are the bigger between those big three which do you and like rank them from your from your least favorite to favorite i mean uh, it sounds cliche, but Christmas is definitely my number one. Yeah. Um, and not just because my birthday is four days beforehand, but um, Christmas was always the time of year when I was in school that I would get to go home and see my family. And uh, it was just like, it's that break of um, the, like the daily grind to being able to go and be with the ones that you love. Um, so that in and of itself is just, it, it was where I got to make the most memories and see people that I hadn't seen for months at a time or years at a time. Um, just the connections that you would have with the people back home. It's, it's definitely one of the most memorable times of year for me. 
Um, so yeah, Christmas is definitely number one. I think along in that same vein, Thanksgiving is number two, just because again, just the family time and you're overeating and that's always a good time. Um, but just, I don't know, man, like it, especially as the older I've gotten, um, the, the perspective that I, I, I've come to appreciate more is just learning to love the time with the people that you have in your life. Um, and I, I wasn't always great at that when I was younger. So I'm, I'm much more, uh, I'm much more acutely aware of it now. Um, and I think trying to be more, um, uh, it's trying to be more pervasive in my mind at all times. Uh, so Thanksgiving is, is number two. Um, and I, I don't know, man, like Halloween, it's fun. And I always liked getting free candy as a kid, but, uh, it was never like this big memorable month holiday that I think it is for a lot of people nowadays. And I, like, to me, it's, it's a day and I, maybe it's because I was in retail for so long and like Halloween was the first or one of the big like stepping stones into getting to Christmas. And so the year just kind of spun out of control once Halloween started and it just kind of burned me out to it potentially. But I don't know, man, like it wasn't Halloween was never anything like super special. Like I remember, I remember trick or treating obviously, but it's one of those things that like it kind of stops when you get to a certain point in your life until you have kids. So it, it like loses that significance to a lot of people. And I, I think until I have kids, it's not really going to gain that momentum back for me, but it, it's definitely out of those three, at least it's definitely my least favorite. And see, that was the thing I wanted to get out of you because I am also in your camp of one, two, three Christmas, thanks, Thanksgiving, Halloween. And I wanted to go over that because I, I see now that as we grow older, there's this larger following for Halloween that I just didn't expect because, you know, when you're a little kid, it's like, oh, you dress up, you get candy. Pretty dope, right? Like everyone wants free candy. All you got to do is dress up. I'm not buying the costume my parents are. Yeah, sounds pretty dope. But then when you're 14, 15, it's like, oh, Halloween, like someone might throw a party but if you're 15 or 16 years old people aren't getting sloshed or anything like that it's like oh come over the kids are having a party we're doing a halloween party blah blah blah. we're gonna take you know like spooky apples out of a cauldron woo, or whatever i didn't really get to go to any of those parties but i know people had them but you know costume parties is a thing obviously in college it's a big thing but when you're in high school halloween isn't really that important when you get to college it gives people an excuse to put on a toga as if you're a dude and have your dick hang out yeah that's great good for you uh women could wear more revealing clothing whatever i could care less everyone has different ideas about that not trying to shame but i'm just trying to say there is a cultural thing about it um between more peppy people who probably take the holiday in a different way i think they're a different subgroup of those who celebrate halloween and then we have, I think, what is the majority of adults who are our age who just really love Halloween. And I feel like I missed this wave, John, of people who just just go all out for Halloween. Like, it's September 1st. It's spooky time. And it's like, yo, Halloween is still two months away. And you're already prepping for Halloween? <laughs> like, what happened? When did Halloween become the second Christmas? And I think... You and I here today are here to pinpoint when that moment happened. 
when people treated Halloween like Christmas. Not that I'm saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying I'm not part of it. And it's fascinating and sometimes it's goofy. But you know what? Christmas is goofy because we kind of worship an old man on a sleigh to who has toys built by miniature slaves to give to kids around the world. Um, and somehow it's connected to Jesus. I don't know. But so today we're going to, I wanted to dive in that Halloween thing where I want you to, to judge my assertion here. But I think the reason why <laughs> Halloween is so popular today for people our age rather than just kids is because of scary movies and a man named Tim Burton. <laughs> oh, 100%. 100%. And that's that's the kind of stuff that we grew up on was Tim Burton and that spooky kind of uh, uh, like atmosphere in his movies. And so there's that nostalgia factor into it. That and, um, uh, uh, oh my gosh, why am I blanking on it? Um, I mean, there's so many, so many iconic Halloween James and movies. the Giant Peach? Well, that, that's... Nightmare Before Christmas? No, but I'm not talking about just Tim Burton at this point, but, oh, um, uh, uh, Halloween. I mean, in general. Yeah. But like, it's <laughs> like, it, it's almost like its own like little subgenre of, of movies, um, that kind of goes beyond just like scary or, um, like horror. It's like the difference between watching Halloween or black Christmas versus the conjuring. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just, it's, it's like an iconic like idea rather than, a time of year. Um, but I definitely, like I said, like I definitely think that Tim Burton, uh, and people's nostalgia for his movies and the movies around that time, like early nineties, early two thousands, um, that stuff is a, I mean, the people that are the loudest now are the people that grew up in that time period. And, um, we're having kids. We're passing that on to a younger generation. I, I, I've every day now I see a bunch of people on my newsfeed, um, post about like new decorations they have or like memes and stuff that are Halloween themed or how they dress up their kids in this uh, kind of like theme, like what their favorite clothes are. It it's crazy. I mean, like not like bad crazy, but it's it's so pervasive um, in in our generation today. And I, I don't know, man, like I I appreciate it. And I think especially this year more than any, than ever, I am all for you get whatever kind of joy you can from wherever you can find it that's healthy and happy and, and helps people. Um, it is not my time of year. Give me another month and I'll be feeling much better. But well, that brings it to the question. Do you like Tim Burton movies? I mean, they're good. I wouldn't no, say no, 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 that doesn't sound <laughs> like, yeah, because for me, I think it's, I, it's either I effing love Tim Burton or, yeah, I'm not crazy about his movies. I don't it's know. the same thing with Zack Snyder. No one's like, I think Zack Snyder's okay. Mostly it's like, I did not like that movie. Or, oh my gosh, did you see the moment when they flew through the building? <gasps> and let's the and th- the color palette was gray and black. Exactly. I mean, like, I, I enjoy the first time I watch his movies because of, like, the escapism of it and how different it is and, like, how his mind works is really interesting. But there aren't really that many of his movies that I've been able to go back and rewatch time and time again and still get that same enjoyment out of hundred um, percent. Yeah. I, it, he, he's a cool, and this is going to sound really mean, but he's a cool novelty, <laughs> but 
he's not he doesn't have that same kind of like repetitive viewing for me at least uh that i look for in other directors yeah people rewatch his stuff like clockwork yeah and uh but not like a clockwork orange i, I missed that reference I don't, I don't know oh don't worry about that that's fine <laughs> it's over my it's over my head but uh when it comes to Tim Burton, for me, I do, like you, recognize that kind of aesthetic, that kind of genius to his mind that's just not for me. Yeah. Because there is a weird sense of wonder with his movies and his universe. Yeah. I I, I would totally agree. Like, as a kid watching... For me, the only movie that I watched, and I think it's because my parents didn't want me to watch his movie that was Tim Burton, was James and the Giant giant peach mm-hmm. and i remember that's one of the movies i would rewatch the most because it was attached to the vhs that they we also had oliver and company on it um so james and the giant peach and oliver and company were all in one vhs that's great so i would watch those movies over and over but james and the giant peach just for me i was like this is a great movie now thinking back and i'm like man that's so weird and i remember in high school i watched um nightmare before christmas and i was like okay I, I i get it but i'm not into this anymore it was it was a weird thing but i understand that sense of wonder he has now that we've gotten our thoughts about tim burnout the way i wanted to go after his sidecar john okay danny elfman oh boy now at this point i'm willing to stick out i'm willing to die in this hill um because i know the fan the fan boys and girls will defend this man to the death but as someone who is musically trained, but very amateurish, and I would believe, John, you are quite musically trained. Um, Danny Elfman, his music, please stop treating it like it is a masterpiece. Does he make generic music that is nice to listen to? Sure. But it's no masterpiece. Whenever I hear people who are really into the timber and fandom just like okay i get it and then they make the assertion danny elfman is a genius no danny elfman is not a genius <laughs> he is nowhere near the antithesis of what is han zimmer as far as soundtracks i do not get the hype around this man i think it is diluted i believe it's blind nostalgia like i have blind nostalgia for star wars john fight me on this what, what is your assertion on Danny Elfman? Because I believe I am wholeheartedly right. He is like the Zack Snyder of music for me. I mean, I I would say that he and his style is so intrinsically tied to Tim Burton because of how much they've worked together um, that I think when he writes, it's for the purpose of, of like the same. He has the same like idea that Tim Burton does when he directs of like creating this own little world um maybe a little bit uh, like a bit of childhood nostalgia mixed in um i mean like when he took over for for the justice league it was more about uh, at least my impression was it was more about tying in like the original batman theme or like the 1989 batman theme uh, or 89 oh my god 89 batman um well he you know batman returns also right also yeah uh but uh it was about throwbacks and tying in older themes to bring like that nostalgia factor in um i think junkie xl had been working on the soundtrack before that and he was well like when you listen to the snyder cut 
soundtrack and what he's been putting out it's much more like innovative and creating new themes uh new moments like the the like are the, you talking about junkie xl or are you talking about danielle junkie xl and like what oh i was about to say i'm like don't don't tell me that <laughs> no 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 and like when you think about like the wonder woman theme um from oh, so good see and th- that's the thing movie music is not about making orchestral masterpieces that stand on their own for me movie music is about writing music that fits the moment that brings out a specific emotion um like i'm not the type of person that goes back and listens to movie soundtracks all the time uh i will say that the gladiator soundtrack was incredible to to wash dishes to because it makes you feel like you're doing something epic um but uh enjoy wait 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 wait. i have to catch a timeout right there (laughs) because i think we're about to agree are you telling me that watching the movie and then listening to the soundtrack for gladiator the soundtrack isn't as good it no it's just a it's a different experience like it so it's not as good sure okay because we agree because i there. I don't know. I, listening to the Gladiator soundtrack, I'm like, this is good. Like, I, I understand what's going on. I'm looking at the moments in the movie. I was like, but I wish I had the movie with me. And that's the thing. I don't like when you're writing or uh, movie like film soundtracks. I, I, I don't think that it is it, intended to stand on its own. I think it's made to elevate the movie and it's all supposed to be one cohesive unit. So, to say that someone is uh, like that the soundtrack is better than a movie i think that the that the producers and the director missed the mark in that regard because it's all supposed to lend itself to one tight unit um and and so danny elfman does does his job like he creates good moments with that in that regard just like um for christopher nolan films uh han zimmer does a great job with that and it's it's much more min- minimalistic but it creates that same it creates the same types of moments that i think that the director intends um whether it be like that intent intensity or introspectiveness um or just quiet stillness for a moment um i do think that danny elfman overcomposes, and he is much more of that older older generation of every moment needs to have music because it all needs to keep moving forward whereas now i think there are a lot more films that take that breath and allow the silence to speak in itself and a lot of times i appreciate those more than i do um uh having constant music like if you think of an infinity war like when the snap happened there's nothing because oh it's so good your entire focus is just on the the weight of the moment of losing all of these characters around you and the severity of it. And so if there was even like, like sad music or just something like intense and quiet there, I think it would have taken away. Um, it would have taken away from the moment because the, it's not about the music at that point. Um, it's about what you're seeing and the visual and the visceral, um, imagery that you're seeing before you, uh, so like Danny Elfman is a cool set of, of colors to have in your palette, but I, he's not the end all be all of, of film music. Just like, I don't think Hans Zimmer is, um, just like, I don't think Junkie XL is just to name the ones we've, we've covered there, but it's, he's a cool, he's a cool flavor and I'll leave it at that. All right, John, 
That's where you're going to leave it. But I have to ask you, Mr. John, are you willing today to put it all on the line and just condemn Danny Elfman as a composer? It's a simple question. <laughs> just yes or no? No, man, I'm not going to say that. Whoa, 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 whoa. I, Mr. John, are you saying that you are... You think Danny Elfman is a good a good genius composer? I'm not saying he's a genius, but I'm not going to condemn him. I mean, like, look, think about the animated Batman series and the theme for that. He wrote that. I think I think you told Wait, did you understand the parallel I was using? Oh. <laughs> nope, now I did. Now you do. Okay, anyways. For oh, those man. in America, Don't. some of you who oh. watched something very important earlier this week once uh, understood, uh, John is a... No, I'm kidding. I'm not going to make that comparison. Man, wow. But I walked right into that one. You did walk right into that one. But no, I just... Something gets me enraged in my soul when I hear people talk about how amazing Danny Elfman is when and, and it's it's my fault i'm not i'm not saying i'm better than these people or anything else i'm just it's my fault the like people talk about how great danny elfman is and i'm just like but have you listened to john williams have you listened to han zimmer like and not even han zimmer's like nolan stuff have you listened to han zimmer's other properties did you know he worked on the lion king his work on the last samurai Despite it having Tom Cruise playing the last Japanese soldier or last samurai, he's not really a Japanese soldier, but he's an American playing the last samurai. Doesn't make any sense at all. The music in that is really good. It, Hans Zimmer is quite a maestro. Everything he gets his hands on is fantastic. Even so that he worked on the Dune soundtrack, which I am overly excited for that as well. This man is a he's the he's a genius of our time when it comes to soundtracks he makes good shit junkie xl makes good shit uh john williams you know you want to talk about the music of our childhood harry potter harry potter and everyone will obviously say, well what about star wars yeah star wars obviously but think about the other things he's done uh he's done et He's done Indiana Jones, Jaws. He's he's everywhere. And I just can't believe the disrespect given to some of these composers. And we have the composer for The Mandalorian. And his name is starting to escape me, but it's Gorenson. And his work on that. And he's starting to become an up-and-comer. Also, phenomenal soundtrack. You talk about... Um, uh, Ramadi, who worked on the um, the Game of Thrones soundtrack, the, the Game of Thrones soundtrack, what he did with the the seven, the cathedral exploding, that that piece of art, that song, that eight minutes of tension, and then the seven minutes of tension with the Night King, uh, with just a piano and a few strings in the background, it's masterful. So I have such a vendetta against. Not necessarily Denny Elfman, but from his cult following that think he's the greatest thing in the world. Come on, please, please. You need to watch other things. <laughs> I mean, you need to listen to other things is what I'm saying for soundtracks, because it is it's a there's a much bigger world because I'm very I love soundtracks. Uh, I love soundtracks so much. Um, 
so that's why I make that assertion that it bothers me. And I think, I think a professor at the university of Florida and another student were talking where they made fun of someone who I don't know. I probably shouldn't say this. No, it wasn't. It was someone at a camp. It was someone at a camp who had it, someone bring who auditioned to be in a better band. Uh, and they auditioned, they were playing on a, on a percussion. They were playing on a, what is it called? John, a marimba. Yeah. And they were auditioning on a Danny Elfman piece. And I think the professor kind of scoffed about it because it's just like, of all the pieces you could have chosen, you chose a piece by Danny Elfman. It's like, that's kind of the the setting tone that I have where it's just like, come on, there's so much better stuff out there. And maybe that makes me a bigot. But I just widen your horizons, people. <laughs> well, it's, it's just more of like a cartoony kind of genre that he writes yes. in. Um, yes. And I don't think that that's taken as seriously as other types of like classically influenced composers. Um, I, I will say, I, I do think that in some cases, John Williams tends to overwrite. Um, but when you, when you think about things like Jaws that, uh, that uses that type of, type of like minimalism just to create tension, that it's not some like overly embellished type of melody that brings you this sense of dread um it's just it's two notes just repeated over and over again sped up to bring you this fear of the unknown um until you finally see it uh that is type of that's the type of like genius masterful composing that lends itself to the movie because i i think that if you aren't even thinking about the the music at the moment you're just so focused on on the the visuals of what you're seeing and just the entire immersive experience i think the composer's done his job yes that's that's fair because a lot of times what i when i'm listening to han zimmer's uh interstellar yeah. interstellar uh my mind races around it like my mind becomes so enthralled with what i'm hearing and it becomes enthralled with just a lot of classical i think the reason why is because a lot of other composers are building off the predecessors who are dead because mm-hmm. um, when i listen to interstellar i think mahler john okay if that makes sense i think of the resurrection and i think uh mahler's symphony number two i believe it is and people talk about how how mahler's number uh his fifth symphony is is his best one but the resurrection in the second, which is towards the end, is a phenomenal piece of melody and harmony working together. And I think that makes the difference for Danny Elfman when you talk about it being maybe a little too cartoony. And maybe that's why I despise it is because it's it doesn't have that emotional impact. Yeah, it brings you joy. And joy is a good emotion to feel. But sometimes music shouldn't just bring joy it should bring other emotions too and i think a lot of music that we have today in pop and rock and roll like they experiment with a lot of happy things and a lot of happy tones but sometimes there's some music that comes along and hits in a different way and a lot of people would say billy eilish is one of those people i think i would agree that some of her music is very different tonally but there are artists out there um in every genre who do something different because it's not to invoke a happy emotion. It's supposed to invoke a human emotion. Mm -hmm. And I don't get that with Danny Elfman. 
And maybe that's my fault for not terminating that, but that's why I love people like the Hans Zimmer and John. Don't you dare insult John Williams again. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. He there there are some pieces of music that he's done where I'm just like, this is a little much. Okay, okay. If you can admit that, then that's all I ask. I, I think well, what what piece of music do you think he does too much? Because I would argue there are some I think in Indiana Jones, now I'm not saying the main theme is overdone, but there are some things where I'm like, this is a little much. Like uh Yeah. That's like think when they're in the desert. Um that theme and I just threw that out there and make fun of me if you want, I don't care. But that theme I think is a little bit overdone for being in the desert. And it's not it it's it feels like it's trying to compare to the main theme. Like the main theme is amazing. Don't fight it. I don't know, man. Like it it he just writes very ornate music in a lot of cases. And it's fun, but when you're looking at the film as a whole, if every single piece is really ornate and well developed, then it doesn't really give you a lot of um range for emotion, musically at least. Um so I, I think on the whole he obviously does a great job and he's an incredible, he's a genius writer. He knows what he's doing, but I, I think that he came from like he, his influences and style is based off of the time period where, um, music really drove a lot more than it does now. Um, there's a lot mm. more nuance with the visuals that I think we didn't have when films that he watched, um, were out. So, I think it's just he he is an incredibly um, well-renowned and very, uh, how should I say, um, experienced composer in the field, whereas a lot of the ones that are really prominent now are much newer and are, have much different uh, influences than what he had. Yeah, very well said. Uh, I guess the only unfortunate thing for John Williams is that the Rise of Skywalker, while a lot of people who I know who listen to soundtracks are like, wow, the soundtrack is really good. I haven't gone into the soundtrack yet because I thought the movie was so bad. But that's not John Williams' fault. Yeah. Um, but just like uh, Rise of Skywalker, we're going to Bobo freak our way out of here. Hey, hey. <laughs> and that will be our show for this week. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Uh, just a little bit of a tidbit. I want to leave this at the end. We did put up something new of a hyper-produced uh sum it up kind of short story just uh us going over the news a little bit about xbox and playstation and um, not really playstation but the acquisition of uh zenimax media and bethesda game studio by microsoft please listen to it um hopefully a lot of people do we'll see more how that goes and hopefully we can get more of those little clips uh produced hyper produced put those out you know and uh we'll see how it, it goes you know a little experiment right john yeah man it's gonna be fun yeah, it's like a, a college co-ed in the spring of 2012. I don't know. It's an experiment. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love those college jokes. Anyways, that's it for us. We'll see you next week when John is in the driver's seat. Bye, guys. Bye.